Welcome to the FinTech One-on-One Podcast, episode number 308. This is your host, Peter Renton, chairman and co-founder of Lended FinTech. Before we start this episode, I want to tell you about a brand new event from Lended FinTech. FinTech Nexus, the Dealmakers Summit, will be the first major in-person FinTech event of the past 18 months. A hand-curated audience of venture capitalists, bankers, FinTechs, and debt investors will be meeting face-to-face at an event 100% focused on doing deals. It will be happening in Miami on September 1st and 2nd. You can apply to join and find out more at lendit.com. Today on the show, I'm delighted to welcome BC Silver. He is the CEO of ChangeFi and the president of the Change Company. Now, the Change Company calls themselves America's CDFI, and they're really focused on providing equal access to financial services, particularly when it comes to home ownership. That's one of their core focuses. We talked in depth about how they do that, how their underwriting works, and how they're able to provide differentiated products to really encourage the disadvantaged and the underserved to really bring them into home ownership. We talk about the changes that's happened over the last 14, 16 months. There's a lot more awareness of systemic racism in the financial system. We talk about that. We talk about how BC gives his perspective on why he's optimistic that we're really going to make a difference and how and how things are actually changing. It was a fascinating interview. Hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the podcast, BC. Thank you, Peter. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. So let's get started just by giving the listeners a little bit of background. You've got a, you've got a sort of not your typical fintech background. You've worked with some of the major consumer goods companies uh, in the world and as, as part of your background. So tell us a little bit about some of the highlights and how you kind of got interested in fintech. Yeah, sure. Um, well, one, uh, very honored and, and thanks for having me here on the, on the podcast. You know, I have a very interesting background. I, I come from um, more of a classic CPG background to start. So post-MBA, I worked for a company called Procter & Gamble for close to 10 years, worked on some really cool brands, everything from Tide to Old Spice, uh, led a resurgence in that brand, um, Secret, Febreze, uh, then moved over to Clorox, worked on the Bleach brand, and then also Glide Trash Bags, and then eventually Mars uh, on the Snicker brand and a couple other cool brands. And I was given an opportunity to work for a company called... Um, Green Dot, which is a fintech organization that also had a very rich history in uh, retail and in more of a classic CPG environment. And so um, a company called Green Dot reached out to me and they said, hey, we really would be interested in you coming in to help us refresh our brand, but also help build brand awareness, help us launch some really cool products. And I was very familiar with the brand because I come from my um, inner city or underserved community background. Um, And so I was really excited to potentially join an organization like Green Dot that was doing very, you know, uh, creative things. So just for folks, if you're not familiar with Green Dot, they were the founders of the prepaid card space. So they actually had pegs or product in the store. So if you walked into a retail store next to Snickers, next to Tide and all those other places, you'll see a gift card section. And then they also had uh, prepaid cards. And so you could walk up to a register and load money on a card and start using it like a debit. So think of it as um, for underserved community or places that are in bank deserts, 
you could get a card. So if you need to pay online, e-commerce, you need to order pizza online, you could get a card that you can load money on and use it for your traditional banking account. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then we eventually start to launch personal cards and then we launch debit cards. Um, And so it was a really great experience in terms of transitioning into fintech. Now, the thing that I would say has been consistent across my entire life is what has been more consistent and more true is I was an orphan. So I was, um, I had a, uh, I was an orphan in Atlanta, Georgia. So I lost my parents at an early age. And because of that, I was awarded a state. So I was in and out of foster care systems and just and eventually emancipated uh, at a very early age. Now, my background and my upbringing, you know, gave me first like a lived experience. The, the financial institutions or secondary financial solutions are much more prominent in inner city communities than your classic banks. And so, you know, I was one of the kids that did a payday loan. I was one of the kids that, you know, use a check cashing place or bill pay location versus having a traditional bank account, which is very different than most families or most kids have for the first, you know, banking product, right? So because of my lived experience, I always had a passion towards the underserved community, banking, and that was always a passion and direction I wanted to go. I just kind of went a, a long route and path to it. <laughs> right. <laughs> so hopefully right. that makes sense. No, that makes perfect sense to me. And I think, you know, I mean, Green Dot is a, is a great company and they are really helping and have helped for decades now those underserved communities. So let's move to Change Company and Change Fi. Maybe you could tell us a little bit about the background about the companies and, and why you decided to join them. What do you think? So post Green Dot, I decided to start my own fintech. So I started an organization called Grind Banking. And at that time, I founded it out of a a place called Vector90, which is where a very awesome leader started a WeWork space, a guy named Nipsey Hustle. He had founded almost like a WeWork uh, in inner city, Los Angeles. Uh, This is before he passed away. And so I founded my own fintech company and planned on launching it. And unfortunately, he passed away. We still launched the company. But he was going down a very similar path to where I was heading, which is talking about diverse ownership and the importance of really doing what's right by the community in the financial sector, as well as from a home ownership perspective, et cetera, et cetera, and ownership on small businesses, so on and so forth. And so from Grind, uh, during that time, we did some really cool things, grew our active base, uh, won a couple of awards, and I was introduced to, to a really good group of guys who started the Bank of California, they were going down a similar path. So they found the Bank of California. I had found it grind. And so we decided, hey, we're going down the same path together of helping the underserved community. So more specifically, African-American and Hispanic, we can be more powerful if we join forces together. And so uh, that was kind of the origin of why, you know, I chose to join change. Now, at that time, the change company didn't exist. Change 5 didn't exist. Uh, that was something that we partnered together, collaborated, built a brand, and then launched it uh, collectively together. Maybe you could describe exactly what the company is. And I've been to the website. I see the different offerings you guys uh, have and your uh, like the CDFI certification. Maybe tell us a little bit about, um, yeah, about what the company is. The company is a very, very um, awesome company that does, you know, um, several different offer several different product um, solution for the underserved community. I guess it all starts with kind of the mission, which is to eliminate social and racial inequities 
close the wealth gap, grow African-American, Hispanic, underbanked businesses and home ownership. And then also with the primary emphasis on closing that wealth gap. And so if you think about uh, that as being the primary mission or what we're, our purpose on why we exist, then every product that we offer from a solution standpoint uh, is an attempt to almost uh, support that mission or that goal. And so if you think of uh, whether it's uh, we offer uh, traditional and non-traditional home loans today, so we land over $6 billion in, in loans in underserved communities, right? But then also uh, you'll see an escrow. You'll also see an appraisal business that we've added on. Uh, and then we're now, when you think of ChangeFi, you can think of it more like uh, more like a SoFi, if you will, where you have multiple product solutions, all intending to serve the same community in a much more comprehensive and, um, and caring way. Right. And so, you know, you, you said that you've lived the underserved experience, so you know it really, really well and really, and firsthand. I mean, what what is it that underserved communities need most, you know, when it comes to banking? That's such an awesome question to think about. Before I give my answer, I'll start by saying uh, I've lived the underserved experience, but my answer will not speak for everyone. Uh, I'm just only going to, you know, speak from my perspective. But, you know, there are people that will have other experiences as well, too, that, you know, I continue to learn from as well. But from my experience, I would say um, uh, it's a multi-pronged approach in terms of what the underserved community needs. Uh, Typically, when you hear about the underserved community, you only hear about um, financial literacy. So education, that's a very big buzzword that you often hear. And sure, Financial literacy would be a part of it. But I think the, the more powerful thing would be two components. One would be the products and the technology that supports those individuals. So think of it this way. I'm assuming you probably have a traditional bank account. And for most of the listeners, if you have a Bank of America account, Chase account, Wells Fargo, you name it. With that account, you have P2P transfers, so you can send money back and forth. You have connectivity to Zelle. You may have remote check capture. Uh, you may be able to pay bills, et cetera, right? And eventually you may be able to get a secure credit card, so on and so forth. If you don't have one of those classic uh, banking solutions or banking accounts, then more than likely you're using several other financial solutions or fragmented solutions. So you could be using a payday advance if you need uh, short-term cash instead of using a, a credit card. You may be using a prepaid card instead of a debit account. In order to send money back and forth to your friends and family, you may be using um, Western Union or using uh, PayPal, Cash App, you name it, right? But each one of those individual solutions costs money, and it takes away from your take-home profit (laughs) that you you actually have on your checking account, right? And so if you think about um, what we want to offer is, giving people all those same solutions that all the rich uh, individuals or or, uh, more traditional accounts have, but offering it to everyone and not not with the intent on price gouging. So just because um, we are in a bank desert doesn't mean we need to have to take prices up to 450% APRs like PD advances do, right? So offering best-in-class solutions at best-in-class pricing is extremely important. The other thing that I think the, um, that the underserved communities need are 
access to liquidity. So actually having opportunities on getting loans. And so how do you qualify for a loan? How do you qualify for a home loan one day? All of those steps are easy to comprehend if someone teaches you it, if someone gives you access to the information. But unfortunately, our current uh, system doesn't do that. And so uh, if you need a loan, the only way you know to do it is to go to payday advance. If you want to improve your credit, the only thing you know how to do is pay your bills on time, of course, but you don't know how to improve your credit from non-traditional data points. And so I think all of those components are key to building great tools in the future uh, that do it for the, for the underserved community. And so I want to sort of parlay that into a, a related question. That's about the racial wealth gap because you, know, you, you said you're focused on African-Americans and Latinos. And I feel like that's, you know, there's been a lot of things, a lot of stats thrown around about the wealth gap between white America and African-Americans and Latinos. So it's, is that, is that enough to close the wealth gap? What you're offering there? I mean, what are your thoughts about sort of the, you know, the, well, the wealth gap that we have in this country? Yeah, so, I mean, they see, you know, the typical black family has about 23% of the wealth of a typical white family. Or from a financial perspective, I think the number is somewhere close to the average white family has a net worth of about $171,000 versus your traditional black family has about Mm $17,000. And so you're talking about over $150,000 differential. And that's really powerful. But I think it's important to know those stats to actually start to quantify it. Because when we're just talking about wealth gap, those are just buzzwords. But let's start to quantify the actual numbers themselves, one. And then two, how can we start to close it, right? And so when you think of Black home ownership rates are almost 30% lower than the white families or white home ownership. And so that is enough to close the gap. And so if you think about, if we can start to get more African-Americans, more Hispanic families into homes, the average value of a home will close that gap. That's why we try to have such a laser-like focus on home ownership and its importance. Because with that one key, in many cases, purchasing a home is the most important financial investment most families will ever have. And so if you can start by having that as the almost North Star, if you will, if you can help people accomplish that objective through improving their credit by offering loans that actually help support them, and then also eventually growing them to actually offering them a home loan. That's powerful. Right. That's why I try to take as much of a focus on, okay, how can we actually drive um, meaningful change versus having more of a theoretical conversation about a gap closure, et cetera. No, I think that, that makes sense to me. So, so then I want to talk about the, the way you're offering these. I mean, you, you're, you know, you talked about, um, the Bank of California, but the change companies and the change FI is a digital offering, right? Correct. Can you explain, like, is this, is this a mobile first offering? I mean, t- tell us how you're delivering banking services. I would call it a digital first offering. So um, most of the communication or most of the ways that people will ever hear about us is through digital marketing, one. Two, from a consumer experience standpoint, uh, having the opportunity to actually start a home loan process uh, digitally is extremely important. So can you get pre-qualified for a home loan within five minutes? Uh, you can do that from a digital um, online through a website. Then also, if you think about from a mobile banking perspective, that is an app in the Apple Store or Android. Uh, and so you can actually apply for an account. 
Uh, you can open an account and you can start transacting um, all within a single app. And so if you think of from an experience standpoint, it's extremely important to, uh, for folks who aren't as familiar with fintech or as familiar with digital and mobile banking. It's essentially all of the new neo banks, all the new banks are, are saying, okay, how can you become more of a classic bank consumer without walking into a physical location? Several years ago, when I talked about um, fintech and people being into fintech, people weren't as familiar with the concept, right? And you would know this firsthand. But then if you say, hey, um, are you familiar with PayPal? Are you familiar with Cash App? Are you familiar with Venmo? And people say, absolutely. Oh, yeah, I know it. And so then you have to explain that is fintech. And that, that is the power. And so in these underserved communities, the reason why fintechs are so important are as if you don't have a physical location or physical branches, they still have cell phones. Right. And they still have the opportunity on downloading and, and uh so, you know, Netflix and streaming and PayPal and Grind and Change, et cetera, those are in the, in the palm of your hand. And so instead of you needing to, uh, I'll give you a real use case example. If you need to chat, cash a check, but you live in a bank desert. So if you get off at five o'clock and you need to go across town to cash your check through a bank, uh, you may not make it in time. And so you say, hey, I really need that money. If you couldn't make it in time across town to cash your check, Instead, at six o'clock, you still need the money. You may choose to go to a payday advance location, or you may go to a check cashing location, and of which they'll take up to 10%, 5% in some cases. And that's a pretty substantial hit just simply due to the fact you didn't have access to your bank. Right. I want to talk about the lending product. And you really, you said you focused on having these the people who have been underserved have access to credit. What are you doing in the underwriting process? How are you kind of making sure that you know you are providing credit to people who are underserved but are still creditworthy? There are a few ways that we're actually solving for that. I'll speak to the home ownership one to start. So, as you are familiar, uh, in order to qualify for a home, it's it's a really tough process sometimes, and so you have to provide tons of documentation. More specifically. Uh, your pay. And so do you have a consistent job and have you been consistently working at a job for a long time? Uh, your credit score, um, you have to have a down payment. Uh, it has to be documented bank statements and bank records. Now, if you are a gig worker or if you work in a blue collar job, but you don't have a direct deposit on, on a consistent basis, then what do you do? Essentially, you can't buy a home and you're locked out. The benefit of being a CDFI, so you mentioned that a little bit earlier, uh, you can offer non-traditional loans. So you can say, okay, if you have a, a good credit score and if you have a down payment, we can qualify you for a home without actually getting employment verification. Uh, and so I think that's a very powerful thing for our communities because we do have a, we do have a disproportionate amount of, uh, of our workforce that is a gig economy worker or even entertainers, or you name it. It gives you the flexibility on still qualifying for the biggest purchase that you can possibly make in your lifetime, but it's more feasible to your working conditions. Yeah, no, totally. That makes sense. That's that's a really good, uh, a great service. So can you give us some sense then uh, of the scale you guys, you guys are at today as far as, you know, loans issued, number of customers, that sort of thing? Yeah, so we, uh, I mentioned a little bit earlier, but we've, uh, we've originated about $6 billion in loans a year uh, in the underserved community, billion with a B. 
We are on record uh, to have a $2 billion. We want to increase that this year, $2 billion initiative uh, where we want to fund more African-American and Hispanic families uh, in homes. Uh, And so we're really trying to uh, dial up the intensity. Uh, And we feel like if if we uh, continue to head down our path, more people will hopefully join us down our path as well, too. So, you know, we have a lot of great institutional investors support the mission. Uh, we also received an investment from Netflix as well. Uh, they saw some of the great work that we've been doing. Um, what I would imagine is there'll continue to be more people that enter the space, and we absolutely welcome it. If you truly care about the mission, the more people that join us along this journey, the better off this community will be when it's all said and done, especially if they have the right intent, uh, they have the right passion and commitment. So if, when you get the opportunity to help, you actually help uh, versus, you know, price gouging and doing other things that are that the traditional system or traditional structure has leaned itself towards. That makes sense. So I want to talk about the, you know, the current environment we're living in today. And, you know, the, there's more awareness, I think, of systemic racism, um, racial inequality than, than there ever has been before. And I think people are finally going from, oh, yeah, that's a, that's a problem we should address to actually starting to address the problem. So, and how has that impacted, uh, in, impacted your mission? And do you find it, is this a, a better environment to be doing this than it was five years ago? It a thousand percent is a better environment to be leading this work. Now, the, the funny thing is, you know, I get a question often in terms of um, what has changed since um, since a lot of the more recent social awareness um, uh, movement uh, has happened in the country. But what I'll say is um, our work has been the same. So we've been doing this for years. Uh, so uh, even at Green Dot before, you know, it's been consistent for us. You know, we were just simply before our time and we had the same mission, uh, same purpose, et cetera. The only difference is now uh, with the country being having more awareness of some of the issues that are prevalent in this country, we have more support and we have more people that want to join the mission uh, today. So I absolutely think it's a blessing that um, COVID and George Floyd and a lot of other moments in this country's history became top of mind and more aware to people uh, because I think it, a lot of people just simply weren't as familiar with this community, weren't as familiar with some of the inequities that were actually happening. And the past year actually forced us to pause and listen and learn from one another. And with that, it's been a, just an awesome thing to see how many people are willing to join the fight together to actually help people who need help. And so uh, that's important. Right. And I think there's also been, from my perspective anyway, like an understanding that systemic racism in many ways begins with the financial system. And that's uh, you know, where you, you know, talked about the, the, the racial wealth gap. And I feel like that's something that is you know, obviously companies like yourself are really, really addressing. So with that, then, do you feel optimistic that, you know, maybe we, we, we chat again, say we chat again in, I don't know, 10 years time. How will the racial wealth gap have been closed? I mean, what's it going to take instead of having like a multiple or a fraction of, of what a, a white family has, what's it going to take for it to be equal? I feel absolutely optimistic or hopeful that things will change and they will improve. Otherwise, I don't know if I could get up for work every day if I didn't feel that way. But more specifically, 
the more, you know, we can be featured on podcasts like this, the more you can champion it, the more other brands can champion it as well. As long as I'm alive, I definitely know that we'll be making progress in the right direction. Uh, and there'll be other people that will join that fight as well, too. From a confidence standpoint, the more we can actually start to focus on things that make a meaningful change against the wealth gap versus talking about things like get paid up to two days early, that uncho- that uncloses the wealth gap. That's a helpful tool for people who need money uh, to get paid you know, a little bit earlier, but that doesn't give people access to liquidity. That doesn't give people the opportunity to buy a home. Uh, so I think it's not only just having the intent, but it's also having the right focus on which products, what things will actually help close that wealth gap. If we have the right focus, the right commitment, and we have the right partners and the right people who are willing to join the mission, uh, we'll close the wealth gap. And it's my personal opinion to be within my lifetime. So I think it'll be over uh, if we do it well over the next 20, 20 years or so, 10 to 20 years. I think we can make a substantial difference in terms of, if not complete closure, maybe at least closing a half the way. Right. So last question before I let you go, what's coming down the pipe at ChangeFi? What are you working on right now? Yeah, we're working on uh, continuing to build some really cool debit-based products. So think of things that will help um, you enhance your credit through non-traditional data points. So if you're using Netflix or if you're paying your bills on time, you you should get rewarded for that. That's one thing that you'll see coming down the pipe. We're going to continue to focus on the things that we do best, which is home ownership. Uh, and so we're not going to, you know, veer far from that path. I couldn't imagine us doing, you know, things that aren't within that lane. Uh, so we're going to double down there, close um, that mission, the, the gap that I told about, excuse me, the, um, the $2 billion um, initiative that we have driving. I think we're going to stay focused in that lane, uh, continue to try to help people improve their credit, uh, but then also offer some really cool debit-based cards that allow people to start to have access to what your traditional banks will. Okay. Well, well, best of luck. It's a, it's a great mission. That's really important work uh, that you're doing. And uh, I appreciate you coming on the show today, BC, and best of luck. Thank you very much. Thank you for okay. the time. Okay. See ya. You know, it's certainly uh, an interesting time for, uh, for an organization like The Change Company to be really pursuing something that feels like it has momentum behind it you know, from really most of society. And certainly a lot of the large corporations are, are really focusing on this issue. And, you know, this is really what we need uh, our organizations like The Change Company to provide products that really make a difference where the rubber hits the road, where people, you know, who would not have been able to own a home, may not have even considered owning a home, are now not only able to, but uh, are able to do it in a way that is, is financially responsible and is a way that really is going to build wealth. Because, you know, let's face it, if home ownership um, was evenly distributed around, throughout the economy, then there really wouldn't be a racial wealth gap. So much of wealth has been tied up in home ownership, and that's something that I think they obviously have identified as a real driver. And they're pursuing that, and I think it's uh, it's obviously a noble cause and something that you know I think is going to make a real difference. Anyway, on that note, I will sign off. I very much appreciate you listening, and I'll catch you next time. Bye. Before we go, I want to remind you about the brand new event from Lended Fintech. Fintech Nexus, the Dealmakers Summit, will be the first major in-person fintech event of the past eighteen months. 
a hand-curated audience of venture capitalists, bankers, fintechs, and debt investors will be meeting face-to-face at an event 100% focused on doing deals. It will be happening in Miami on September 1st and 2nd. You can apply to join and find out more at lendit.com.